My name's Kurt, for those of you that don't know me, um, and I'm humbled and honored to uh, come before you today and open God's Word. I'm not one of the pastors here, but uh, sometimes we talk about Mountainside and our work together as pastoring each other, uh, closer to God and closer to Jesus, so I hope that um, my words today can be a blessing to all of you. Uh, I don't pretend to be a biblical scholar by any means. Uh, but I think I have something uh, hopefully inspiring to share today. So uh, we've been traveling through the Gospel of John, and we've been focusing our time in John looking at the seven signs that Jesus performs. Um, and as we've been looking at those signs, we've been trying to imagine uh, and understand what do these signs say about Jesus, what do these signs say about us, um, and today, I want us to think about that and also think about what are these signs calling us to uh, and what actions can we take because of these signs? And as we leave here today, um, what can we do because we've, we've seen and we've read about and we've heard uh, these signs from Jesus? Um, today's story is the story of, I'm going to total spoiler alert, uh, Jesus feeds 5,000 people. Um, and it's a story of absurd faith. And I've started using the word absurd in the last week because I met up with a friend of mine that I haven't seen in a long time. And he was telling me about, actually he used to go to Mountainside in like 2005, 2006 when he was in high school. And uh, he now lives in, in New York. And he was telling me these, uh, the story of his journey to working for one of the big four accounting firms and then going to work for an investment bank. And then in the last year, quitting that job and no joke, this is very absurd, starting a craft light beer company with his friend in Brooklyn. Um, and as he told me these stories, he talked about these absurd encounters and these absurd moments. And he kept using that word, and I'm like, that's a great word. And I've been thinking about the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000, and particularly about Andrew's faith as something that's crazy, as something that's wild, that doesn't make sense. Um, but I think the right word for it is absurd. So I want us to think in those terms of absurd faith this morning. Um, and Sonia uh, taught on the very beginning of John, and Josh mentioned it um, in his sermon, uh, the fullness we have received of grace upon grace. And I want us to, to hold that with us um, this morning. And as I listen to the prayers um, and as I reflect on the last week, um, we might be coming here this morning with a, a, with a little less faith than we've had in the past. Um, maybe something happened in your personal life. Um, Sonia and I were talking yesterday, and she brought up the idea of a faith-to-doubt ratio. And uh, maybe your faith-to-doubt ratio uh, is less than it's been in the past. Or maybe your faith-to-doubt ratio is really low. Maybe you've got 5% faith in God and in the work of God in your life and 95% doubt. Or maybe you have the opposite. You've got 95% faith, 5% doubt. Or maybe you're somewhere right in the middle. Um, but God, through these signs of Jesus, uh, puts his arms around you and welcomes you into his grace, uh, regardless of where you're at in that ratio. So, um, amen? All right. Well, let's, uh, let's get to it. Let's stand for the reading of the gospel. 
Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, or Tiberias. A large crowd followed him because they saw the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. Then Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was near. Therefore Jesus, lifting up his eyes and seeing that a large crowd was coming to him, said to Philip, This he was saying to test him, for he himself knew what he was intending to do. And Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, for everyone to receive a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, Jesus said, now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. Jesus then took the loaves, and having give, given thanks, he distributed to those who were seated. Likewise, also of the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were filled, he said to his disciples, So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten. Therefore, when the people saw the sign which he had performed, they said, This is truly So Jesus, perceiving that they were intending to come and take him by force to make him king, withdrew again to the mountain by himself alone. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. This is uh, not an obscure story by any means. Um, it's in all the four Gospels. It is in probably every kid's Bible story book out there. Um, I grew up listening to Johnny Cash, and he's got an album about going around the Holy Land, and he has a song that talks about the signs, and one of the four signs is this feeding of the 5,000. Um, so stories like this, a lot of times, I think we already kind of have our minds made up about what they mean and what they say to us, so I invite us all to reimagine this today in two different ways. The first being the absurd faith of Andrew, and the second being our expectations of Jesus, uh, and what to do when our expectations for, G for, for Jesus and for each other aren't met. Uh, first, I want to spend some time looking at Andrew's absurd faith. Um, we talked a little bit about that word absurd. Uh, Something that's wildly unreasonable, it's illogical, and it's even inappropriate. Um, and in, in this story, in this moment, uh, oh, excuse me, um, it, it brought me to this verse in, uh, in, in 1 Corinthians 2 that Paul writes about God choosing the foolish things of the world to shame the wise and taking things that are absurd, things that don't necessarily match up with our logic, uh, but can tell us... Uh, Tell us, amazing, tell us things about God, and more than that, lead God, lead, lead us into places where we can see uh, God perform miracles, and through those miracles, give us signs. Um, so Jesus asks a question, where are we going to get bread? And Philip's answer has nothing to do with where, but he immediately jumps to how. And I think we do this all the time, especially in our moments of anxiety and of stress. We focus on why we can't solve the issue, um, 
we can't look past the size of the problem or the hurt. Andrew then responds in this absurd way. There's this little guy over here who's got five loaves and two fish. But what's that among so many people? And I wonder if, if he said that in a voice of sarcasm of like, hey, there's this kid over here with five loaves, like almost tauntingly, or if he said it in a manner of great faith. I, I wonder what his faith to doubt ratio in this moment was in what way he was approaching Jesus with this little boy in his picnic. Um, regardless, Jesus takes this word of faith, this action of faith of identifying a possible solution, and even though it's totally absurd, he takes it and performs this amazing miracle. And miracles don't make sense to us. We can't scientifically explain uh, what's happened. We can't pick them apart and determine. Um, growing up, I heard the story that maybe the miracle was that the little boy was sharing his loaves and fish, and that could possibly be. Um, or like God has done in the past, uh, I believe it was a, a, another gift of manna, like what the, uh, what the people had received in the desert, a direct giving of God of this bread. Um, so Jesus takes this small nugget of faith in Andrew's action, and he creates something powerful of it, and it becomes a miracle, and it becomes a sign. And I want us this morning to spend a little bit of time thinking about other absurd acts of faith uh, from, from Scripture, from um, our history, from our personal lives, things we've seen in others. Um, and we're going to spend a little bit of time in a minute sharing with each other uh, some absurd acts of faith that have turned into miracles and signs that you've seen in your life. So be prepared for that. Uh, I have a couple other examples that jumped out to me as I prepared for this morning. Um, the manna, and I think uh, it's, it's pretty clear that the Gospel of John, uh, John sets this up with manna being compared to Jesus in this miracle. And then um, next week, Warren's going to teach about the uh, walking on the water and that being compared to the people of Israel crossing uh, through the water uh, right after the Passover. Um, but in this story, I would say the absurd act of faith is that the people of Israel were told not to store away the manna or it would get all gross and maggoty. And some of them didn't believe, but a, a, the majority of them did believe. And that absurd act of faith, the next day there was more manna. The next day there was more manna. And that became this huge sign for the people of Israel of God's faithfulness. Um, Caleb and his buddies in... Uh, after the exodus, snuck into Jericho, and they met a harlot named Rahab. And they told her to stick this red cord out of her window. And that when the Israelites came into Jericho, that her house would not be destroyed. And as an absurd act of faith, like what in the world is this red cord going to do? Um, she was saved and became a part of the lineage of Jesus. Um, David absurdly says... I'm a shepherd boy with a stick and five stones. I'm going to go fight the biggest man in the world. And Saul absurdly lets him do it. And out of that, there's this miracle of the defeat of the Philistines and this sign uh, as um, God's work continued. Um, stories in our lives, I think of the Immigration Resource Center as an incredible example of this absurd faith where many of us showed up with printers and laptops and reams of paper and just responded to a question of, will you come help us fill out some DACA applications? And 
Looking back, it seems absurd that out of, out of that small step has come this organization and um, the miracle, I think, being the longevity of the organization, the miracle, I think, being the faithfulness of people like Jonathan, who could be making a lot of money as a lawyer somewhere else, but miraculously wants to be here giving his life to these people, and many, many more who, uh, of us who make that sacrifice, that miracle. And it's, a, it's an incredible sign to our community. It's an incredible sign to other churches like us um, around the nation that are being inspired uh, to act absurdly as well. Um, Another story uh, that I thought of, um, Jeff and Tiffany Westra absurdly decided to take in four people into their home. Um, and that, that started this long, beautiful string of events that has led to uh, our church hosting this family and long-term sustainable housing for this family, which is truly a miracle. And that being a part of this sign to uh, our community and um, to the people in our city giving us Mountainside um, this money to steward to help people who need help with housing. Um, so those are some stories I could come up with. I think it'd be really helpful for us to hear from each other about absurd stories of faith and how those have turned into miracles and have been signs uh, to others. So I'd like us to take three to five minutes, turn to a neighbor or two, and let's share a couple stories of absurd faith. And it doesn't necessarily be something that you've done but some of you, something you've seen in others' lives or stories you've heard um, of absurd faith, like imagining a boys' picnic feeding 5,000 people. So go for it. One or two, one or two stories that, uh, or two or three stories that came up. Let's share those with each other. Please. Oh, jeez. Yes, you are. Time children say very absurd things, and it's beautiful when we listen to them, right? Yeah. Let's hear something else. So I shared in our group, um, my brother and sister in law had a really hard time with their marriage pretty early on. Um, my brother in law got addicted to prescription drugs. Um, and just seeing the way that my sister in law loved. Just 
procurement is continuing to happen is just like a, a daily reminder of who got it. That, that's a beautiful story, assigned to you, and I'm sure assigned to so many others in their lives and people even who hear it secondhand. That's incredible. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. It's a beautiful, I think a beautiful story and example of that. Um, so as we go from here, I hope we can look for ways to believe and act with absurd faith. And I think that can be as small as in our relationships, giving that second time, second round of forgiveness or showing up even when it doesn't really make sense to show up. Um, absurd faith in our work, uh, listening to people that we might not expect, whether um, our work happens to be in a business or at a school or in our home, but listening to the ideas, listening to the, the input from others, whether it's children or the, the least of these among us. Um, I just encourage us from here to go and Look for those opportunities and take those opportunities, uh, even though they might seem crazy and absurd. So um, the second thing I wanted to touch on that I really, uh, that really jumped out to me as I pondered this story over the last couple weeks is at the very end of this passage, um, the gospel writer says, so Jesus, perceiving that they were intending to come and take him by force to make him king, they withdrew again to the mount. He, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself alone. Um, and I think that says something to us about our expectations of who Jesus is, and I think it says something even louder to us about what Jesus does when we don't meet or we don't share the expectation that he has for us. Um, the, the Gospels tell us that there are times when Jesus directly faces and fights again this misalignment of expectation in John chapter 2, he goes through the temple and he clears it out. Uh, later on in John chapter 6, he's in the synagogue and he lets the people have it with regards to who he is, what he's doing. Um, but in this moment, Jesus just walks away. And I think that's a really good, uh, hey, that's a really good word for us to hold this week as we leave here. Um, Misalignment of expectations is what creates drama in our relationships. It's what creates hurt and brokenness in our lives. And so often we want to just deal with those misalignment of expectations immediately in the moment. But out of absurd acts of faith and out of miracles and signs, we need to remember that Jesus walks away. He gives patience and he gives grace to his people. Um, he doesn't try to change their minds immediately, but he lets the sign sink, sink in, and he lets the, the miracle and the power of that, uh, I think, permeate within his people and within his followers. Um, so the, that, that word for me this week is, is to make sure I give space for misalignment of expectations to not lead to immediate conflict and not to lead to immediately trying to solve that problem or set those people straight, but to give some space and give some grace and give some room. Um, our kids are back. Uh, John 6 goes on. It's one of the longest verses, I think, in, or one of the longest chapters, excuse me, in the Gospels. It's like 71 verses long. And it's a source of great controversy for theologians over centuries about the sovereignty of God and about 
uh, how someone can come to know God. Um, and we're not going to get into all that, but wrapped up all in the middle of this beautiful chapter is the bread. Uh, and every week we come to this table and we break the bread uh, and we drink the wine. We dip our, um, our bread in grape juice. Um, and I just wanted us to, as we come to the table, reflect on these words from the end uh, or kind of middle of John 6. Uh, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. Exactly like manna, except manna, you needed more the next day. But with me, you don't need more. I am enough. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. Uh, and then very overtly, Jesus says, the bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. And uh, that, that future statement, which I will give for the life of the world, is... Um, is manifest in Jesus' faithfulness and his obedience to God and his death on the cross. And uh, as we come forward, um, I hope that we do so knowing and believing, even if it's a shred of faith, even if it's a tiny little bit of faith, that uh, this bread is Jesus' body. And it, it has been broken so that we will live forever. And that is the good news of our gospel. Um, Kids, you guys, hey Jake, are you with me? No. Um, kids in godly play today, can somebody tell me what story you guys learned about? What story did you guys learn about? <laughs> Olive? When Moses led God's people into freedom? And when God's people were led into freedom, what were they eating? Selah. Matzah? Yeah, nailed it. Yep. And what, does anybody remember what the ingredients of the matzah are? Just flour and water. Because God's people, as they rushed out of Egypt, didn't have time to add yeast, didn't have time to let that bread rise. Um, godly play is like a week ahead of us. And uh, I think there's some beautiful, like I mentioned before, parallel between the story of Jesus walking on the water and the people of Israel escaping Egypt through the water. Um, but I wanted to read these words to us. These are the same words our children heard in godly play. Um, and we're actually going to eat matzah today as our communion bread. Um, this is like the, fr the flat bread the people made so quickly. You could still eat it today. Whenever you taste this bread, you taste this story. This story being God's people escaping from Israel, escaping through the water with bread that's just made from wheat and water in their, in their hands and in their bags. This is the bread of the Passover feast. It is called matzo. Sorry, I said matzah. It's matzo. Now let's enjoy the matzo all together and taste the story. Taste how the people went through the water into freedom. You can almost taste the excitement. Yes, there's nothing in the bread except flour and water. They had to hurry. There's no leaven in the bread to make it get big and fluffy like the bread you buy in the store. This is unleavened bread, and what you taste is the story. And as we come to the table, let's taste the story. Let's taste the story of, of Jesus doing a miraculous work and feeding 5,000 people, and let's taste the story of Jesus being faithful to his children in Israel and in Egypt and bringing them out of Egypt. And let's taste the story of uh, God today doing miracles and bringing signs 
through our absurd faith. Um, so let's, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for this morning and we thank you for your word. We pray that um, as we come to your table and as we eat this bread and as we dip it in this juice, uh, that we would believe that it is your body broken for us and your blood shed for us. Um, and we pray that in our lives, uh, you would call us to absurd acts of faith. And we pray for uh, your, your patience as our expectations don't line up with our neighbors and our brothers and sisters and spouses and friends. And uh, we pray that your kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.